A very good morning to you. I'm Howard Feldman, and this is Your Synthesis Sunday Podcast with me, Howard Feldman, and of course, Dr. Anton Myberg. It is the 22nd of August in the year 2021. I'm just hoping that 2021 will be the last time that we're doing this. Do you think that that is possible, Dr. Anton Myberg? When is this all going to go away? So good morning. Um, unfortunately, I'm not into the art of prophesizing, but um, if you really have to be honest, this is not going away for a while still, and this will go on well into next year. Um, we are expecting a fourth wave towards the end of October, November, um, and until the majority of our country is vaccinated, we still have got a lot of work to do. There are currently 212 million cases worldwide with 4.4 million deaths and 189 million cases resolved. The United States has 38.5 million cases with 644,000 deaths. India has 32.4 million cases with 434,000 deaths. And South Africa has 2,680,225 cases with 79,251 deaths and 13,621 new cases in the last 24 hours, a 20.8% test positivity rate. There are currently 4,407 patients in hospital in Gauteng, with 847 in ICU and 458 currently vaccinated. There, are, there have been 71,462 people vaccinated in Gauteng yesterday, of the total number of 248,000 people vaccinated nationally. And in total, there have been 10 million vaccinations given, with 4.8 million adults fully vaccinated. All right. So that really, really is great news. In terms of the the vaccines, what what is the latest that we are seeing in terms of so, efficacy, in terms of people that you're seeing in hospital? We do know that the vaccine protection against Delta is lower than it was against the Alpha variant, but it's a still highly effective vaccination against severe disease and against hospitalization. Germany and Israel are now giving their third boosters, and the United States CDC has authorized the administration of a third dose to immune-compromised patients 28 days after their second dose of vaccine. So the vaccines are going out, and uh, at the moment we're doing the Johnson Johnson and we're doing the Pfizer, and those are working extremely well. Um, I do think it's too early for South Africans at this point in time to get boosters for their third dose but I do believe the booster is the way to go down the line in a number of months down the line, but not just yet. Are vaccinated and unvaccinated people levels the same in terms of once they get the virus? So I think the important thing to know is that vaccinated people carry as much Delta viral load as unvaccinated. And this was revealed in the United Kingdom's National COVID-19 uh, Infection Survey that they've recently done. The two vaccines are most effective, or one vaccine of Johnson & Johnson is most effective protection against Delta. But although people who are fully vaccinated have a lower risk of actually becoming infected, those who do get infected have similar virus levels to those who are unvaccinated. We still don't know yet how much transmission is possible in a vaccinated person to someone who's been vaccinated and giving the actual virus to other people, but it's thought that if you have been vaccinated and you do have the virus, the high levels of virus will only be in your system for a shorter period of time due to the vaccination. In terms of the efficacy after the first Pfizer, go through that again. In other words, 
do is it is it about the, the is the second Pfizer shot about the length of time that you have protection, or does it also talk to the level of protection? So we know that after the first Pfizer, you've got about a thirty-five to forty percent protection value from the actual Pfizer, but you do know that. We see a lot of people who have had the first Pfizer that do come into hospital because they've been exposed in the vaccine lines or because they thought that now that they've had one vaccination, they're safe and they don't have to wear their masks and they can just go around and sort of act as if there was no problems. What we are finding is that the longer duration of time between the first and the second vaccination definitely helps with the immunogenicity and the working of the vaccine and helps build up a much stronger immune response. And initially it was 28 to 30 days, and this was increased to 42 days. And this is showing a much better response. The length of time between the two vaccinations lengthened is a better response to your immune response of your body to have an adaptive immune response against the actual virus. So the fact is that we shouldn't, even though there are more vaccines available, and a few people have asked this question, should we reduce the time between the first and the second Pfizer shot? Your answer from a clinical perspective is actually no. Definitely not. Definitely not. As I say, a longer time period is far more efficacious than a shorter one. And what would that longer time period be? So as I say, 42 days minimum. Is that a minimum? Between the first Pfizer and the second Pfizer. I saw an interesting article the other day, somebody from Discovery postulating that about 80% of South Africans could, in fact, have had COVID-19. It doesn't really make sense to me because if 80% have had it and others have also uh, had the vaccination, surely we would have reached herd immunity. So I'm not really sure I understand that. But tell me about the possibility of South Africans reaching herd immunity. So, yeah, I must say also I read that that article about Discovery where they said that 80% have been been infected. And I also don't Mm -hmm. really buy it because if 80% of the population have been infected and then have antibodies and the other 10 or 15% have had vaccinations, why are we still seeing so many people being admitted to hospitals? I don't really understand it. That being said, I do believe a great proportion of the country has got some sort of immunity Um, And I've said that from the beginning because I believe in the rural areas, you've got a conglomeration of people all in the same house or all people all together. And a lot of these people are not getting sick and are not landing up in hospital. So there's got to be something Mm -hmm. that rings true from that. Now, with regards to herd immunity, I think that's literally fallen away. You know, you know, when you, you when you listen to the academics like Prof. Shabir Mardi and Professor Guy Richards, they believe that the term herd immunity is a dangerous term because we don't think we're going to reach herd immunity anymore. We believe the the concept is population control. And by population control, it means that the more people you vaccinate, the less chance of people being admitted to hospital with severe disease or critical disease. The whole point of the vaccination is not to reach herd immunity now. The point of the vaccination is to prevent people from getting critical, severe disease or landing up in hospital. And that's a new concept, and that's an important concept because we do know we've got very, um, I don't want to use the word idiotic, but idiotic people who are anti-vaxxers, and we've got Mm. that type of sort Mm. of people in this environment. So, you know, those people will never get vaccinated, and we won't be able to reach that herd immunity. It's not like poliomyelitis or smallpox where the World Health Organization has actually instituted um, mandatory vaccination where we've actually eradicated these diseases. This is going to be something that's going to be around for a long time, very much like the seasonal flu. 
We're going to need boosters. We're going to need yearly vaccinations. And it's going to be there for a while. So I don't believe we're going to reach the so-called herd immunity. And that's why we've got to look at population control with regard to decreasing the severity of the disease. And decrease means the only way, really, to decrease the, the severity of the disease's vaccinations. The only way to decrease the severity is, as you said, vaccination. The best way to decrease the severity is vaccination, not to try and get yourself infected. The better immunity comes from the actual vaccination, not from the infection. So that's interesting. But at the something you've said before is if somebody has had COVID-19 and one vaccination, that works That works very, very well in terms of immunity. That works. They work very well together because you've got two different types of mm-hmm. antibodies. You've got a different type of innate immunity and adaptive immunity working together in your body to fight off the infection and to fight right. off the virus from creating an infective source in your body. What's the R0 um, of the Delta? So I think we've got to remember that we've looked at this R0 a number of times to look at the reproductive number of the infection. In other words, if I have got COVID, can I infect a number of people with the COVID disease? The secondary infection I can give you. And the R0 with the Delta variant is about 5 to 8, which is dramatically higher than the Alpha variant at one stage, which was 1 to 1.5. We look at 5 to 8. So that is a very high number. We know it's extremely transmissible, and it's a much higher, more infective variant than the alpha variant, 60% more transmissible and infective, and therefore that's why we're getting a much higher R0 number with the Delta variant. And Darren's asking, is does a vaccinated and unvaccinated person transmit the virus to the same degree, or is it different? It, is that kind of what you were asked, answering before, I think? I think we, we answered earlier here. Mm. I think we still don't know how much the vaccinated person will transmit the virus, but we do believe it will be for a shorter period of time if it is that due to the viral load and due to the actual immunity right. from the vaccination. Right. And I think it's important to, to know it's a good question because you know, I think it's a very good question because people still got to understand, even though you are vaccinated, you still have to wear masks and you still have to adhere to social distancing and you've still got to follow the inherent rules. Mm-hmm. A few people asking about different variants. Right now, what are we seeing in South Africa? Is it still predominantly Delta? It's still predominantly Delta. Um, we believe there might be a variant of interest developing. We don't know what it is yet. Um, if you look at the numbers, which is which is quite interesting, in you know, Gauteng, mm-hmm. the numbers are about 1,500, whereas in KwaZulu-Natal, Western Cape, Eastern Cape, they're like 3,000. And last night, we had 13,000 infections over 24 hours. So the graph has not plateaued by any means. In fact, the numbers are still at a high level. So we're not out of the third wave by any means. Yes, in Gauteng, the numbers are down dramatically, but in the other provinces, they're still very much in the third wave. So there might be new variants, and we don't know yet what those subtype of those variants are, but the predominant variant we're seeing is still the Delta. If this third wave continues a bit longer, does that mean that the fourth wave, which is predicted, let's say, for November, December, uh, gets stretched as well? How does it work? It, it generally does. I mean, what we've seen from the first and the second wave, there's normally a number of months in between each wave to the first, mm. the second, to the third wave. So by the end of the third wave, you know, if we can get multiple more people vaccinated, the chances of the fourth wave being as severe are much less. 
noting that overseas in America, the number of deaths are highest in the unvaccinated people. And we've got to say this, there are sometimes breakthrough infections. We know that with people who have been vaccinated. And there is sometimes death related to the person having had COVID even after they've been vaccinated, but is very few and far beyond. It is a minority of cases that have been vaccinated, minimal cases that die due to the virus once they've been vaccinated. Well, in that case, it does become like a flu. I mean, there are a couple of people a year who die from complications around the flu. But generally, it isn't something that yeah. It does become like the flu, but it's nothing like the flu. It's nothing like we've ever seen. There's nothing like we've no, ever no, seen I'm before. Not, this this, I'm not, this I'm not virus has completely decimated us, and it's, mm. it's taken us down. I mean, the number of people throughout the world that have died, 4.4 million people that have died from this virus. So it's not like the flu in that respect, but mm. it will mm. be very similar to the flu with regards to the yearly vaccinations. And the number of people that get sick hopefully won't be critical because they have been vaccinated. Every week we get questions about blood groups. Has there been any indication that some blood groups are more susceptible than others? No, we're not finding that. There's always, there's always, there's always these sort of, uh, you know, um, people who look for different others, whether it's A group or the B group, B group or the AB positive or the B negative, but we're not finding any predominance to someone who gets more sick because they have got one type of blood group. Right. And uh, also this question we've received a few times, a few people have died of COVID and their death certificate says natural causes. Would, wouldn't it? I don't really understand the question. Isn't that, isn't COVID natural causes? So, no, I think, I think it's just to, yeah. So, so COVID is a natural cause because it's a pneumonia and it's a viral oh. infection. And that would be deemed as a natural cause. For something to be deemed an unnatural cause, that would be something like a car accident or someone who mm, dies mm. during an anesthetic. That's an unnatural cause of death. Okay. Whereas a pneumonia, albeit it's not a normal time, even though we're through a pandemic, is still known as a natural cause of death. So therefore, mm. you don't have to go to an autopsy on every person that passes away from COVID-19. Mm, the law mm. states that every unnatural cause of death needs to have an autopsy. Okay, got it. So, so that I hope that explains that. Ian wants to know: Did Doctor Marburg spoil his wife on her birthday yesterday? Did she get breakfast in bed? Hell yes. <laughs> I think it's probably a, a a good point to pay tribute to Miss COVID or Mrs COVID, the wife of the 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 doctor who has to who has to put up with everything that she's put up with in the last 18 months don't you think so it, de- it definitely is a good tribute to, to pay tribute to mrs covid and once again be it very similar to covid she turned 19 again wow wow isn't that isn't that incredible how fortunate how fortunate that is all right so taking a look at uh, some other questions terry says hi howard with regard to the copper masks mentioned dr marburg last week um are they meant to be a safer alternative to the blue surgical masks but less effective than the kn95 masks if you have a smaller face and a copper mask would loosely fit is it not safer simply to wear a k95 that fits better uh, a few questions around these copper masks. So, look, as I said last week, the copper masks are extremely effective. The mm-hmm. COVID-19 or the SARS-CoV-2 virus cannot attach to copper, which is a major, major breakthrough for these masks. 
Now, obviously, if the mask doesn't fit properly, it's a, properly it's a problem. But you can manipulate it. You can get special tiles that you can put behind the back of your head to actually make the mask fit to your face properly. In my, in my humble opinion, they are far better than a normal surgical mask. There's no doubt about that. Um, they're not the same as an N95, K95 mask that you would wear in ICU, but they are definitely a far higher grade and much better option to a normal surgical mask. And you can wear them for a week at a time because the filters can actually absorb enough of any particles that it can last you for a week, which is a big thing. It really is. Uh, Lindy says, as a healthcare worker, we are reaching six-month mark. Isn't it a worry? Shouldn't we, that we become vulnerable again? What could be done to escalate the boosters? And in fact, I spoke to somebody else, a first responder this morning, who made the same comment that that he's struggling to get permission to get a booster. Surely this should be done for healthcare workers. I can't agree with you more. I think that people who are on the front line, who are working in the ICUs, who are working in the COVID wards, should be offered a booster if it's more than six months down the line. But it is a bit of a slippery slope. We've got a lot of sort of obstacles to get through before that happens. Remember, we're still trying to vaccinate enough people in this country. And it's not because there's a lack of vaccines. It's because there's still vaccine hesitancy in the country. So if we're finding that there's enough vaccines and there's enough people that are filling those vaccines and they're still left over, then it might be time to start considering giving boosters to the frontline healthcare workers in the next month or two, because we know from Israel and we know from other countries that after six to eight months, the effectivity of the vaccine does wane or does decrease. Right. Uh, Beverly asking about rage in December and a few questions around your view of uh, day camps or not day camps, sleepaway camps in December as well. Yeah, look, I mean, for many people, it's a tough one. For me, it's a no brainer. Last year, we know what happened because of rage. It was the catalyst to the outbreak. It It completely destroyed our country. And it was because of the rage that actually started off the whole second wave. So in my mind, it's a no-brainer. Rage is a complete no-no. And it's, it's for parents to actually make the decision to realize they have to be the responsible party mm-hmm. here to say it's not safe for their children to go on rage because of the fallout, what happens because of something like that. With regards to day camps, it's not a simple thing. It's sleeping, sleeping, sleeping over camp. things. You can't put kids in a tent together. You know, sleep wake You can't put people in a tent together and try and have a camp. You know, you have one case, one case in the tent or in the actual sort of group, and you've got to close down the whole camp. So it's not an effective thing. Day camps would be far superior to that at this point. Right. Okay. So I think that's uh, that's important as well. And uh, Bernice says, please can Dr. Marber comment on the interview with Dr. Patrick. He speaks about a new vaccine being produced in South Africa. I'm not aware of this. Are you? So Dr. Yeah, but Dr. Patrick Sun Xiong is a, a billionaire who's trying to bring in uh, or trying to work with a new vaccine called Immune Bio, which is the HAD5 vaccine, which is intended to activate T cells, which is very different to the normal vaccines which activate the antibodies. So that works against the the spike and the nuclear capsid proteins. And it works on a T cell level, not an antibody level. So that will be interesting to see what the effectivity of those vaccines are against the Delta variants and other variants that are coming up. 
Okay, that is very, very interesting. And uh, other questions that I wanted to, to get you, the PCR test, how, how does that actually work? So we know that the PCR test is either done through a nasal swab or through an oropharyngeal swab where you put the swab at the back of the throat or the back of the nose. This swab estimates the concentration of the virus in the sample by what's called amplifying the DNA until it's detectable as what we call a fluorescent signal. So the number of amplification cycles needed to get a signal is what we call the cycle threshold value. The lower the cycle threshold value means the higher the viral load of the actual virus in that sample. So if there's only 10 cycles that are done with that cycle and it picks up the DNA amplification, it means you've got a very high viral load. If the amplification or the cycle threshold is more than 3540, it's extremely low and is not warranted as calling it a positive test. Right. Are these are these immediate tests accurate at all? These I'm not sure what you call them. The, the ones so you we call the rapid tests. The, the rapid. Yeah, right. they call rapid the rapid tests. They're very good in a situation where you're working in a casualty, for example, and when you've got to ascertain when someone comes in with certain respiratory symptoms or certain fevers or sore throat, if you can ascertain whether or not the patient is immediate. Because if they're positive, they generally are positive. But if they're negative, it doesn't definitively mean that the person is not going to turn positive in a day or two or three still. And a lot of the time when the person gets a negative result, they still put into a ward, which is known as a PUR ward, a person of interest or under investigation that has been worked up still. So they're not the be-all and end-all. A negative test doesn't definitively mean that you are negative and won't actually help with certain major events. For example, like uh, rage events where they say no, that they can test people and do rapid tests every day because these things can change in a day or two. Mm. Mm. That is uh, that. Uh, yeah, I guess I guess that's very very valid because that's that's what they're relying on, right? That's what they're relying right. on for to make sure that the environment is safe. Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not so simple. Your thoughts on under 18s getting vaccinated? It's now the 22nd of August 2021. Why the hell have they not been vaccinated yet? There's your answer. All right. Uh, well, there's the answer to my question, I believe. Besides uh, your wife's birthday and besides a really great shirt that you're wearing, is there good news? So there's good news. The hospital numbers in Gauteng are down. We're seeing patients in the rooms again. We're actually starting to doctor again, which is quite exciting. Um, we do know that the seven-day average is plateaued in certain areas. It's not completely down, so we still need to follow all the rules. Um, shuls for Yontov are looking good as a go-ahead, and family meals are looking like they can go ahead within the confines of the rules, which we can discuss at a later date, but that's a positive thing. And, of course, most importantly, most importantly, Liverpool won last night. Great win, lads. Top of the log, number one, pure class. Two clean sheets, ole, 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 you'll never walk alone. And to quote, my quote is re anti vaxxers from a colleague of mine, and I think it's a very pertinent quote. Don't try and shampoo a warthog. It's a waste of time, and you only annoy the beast. Be safe, have a good week, and look after yourselves. 
Yep, and I would add to that that it's a terrible waste of shampoo. I'm Howard Feldman. This has been the Sunday Synthesis Podcast with me, Howard Feldman. And of course, Dr. Anton Marburg. Don't forget to subscribe below. Keep sending us your questions. Thank you for your incredible, incredible support. Be safe, get vaccinated, and God bless. We'll see you next week.